Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Huddle, presented by Leeds Hospital Radio Sport. My name is Stuart Taylor, uh, the normal uh, presenter of this uh, renowned uh, programme, the Sports Huddle, uh, Ian Marsden. Unfortunately, has been taken unwell at the last minute, so uh, I've jumped off the substitutes bench, uh, but um, I'm not alone. I've got... Uh, Two luminaries of Lee's Hospital Radio Sports organisation to help me in the uh, in in Jim Walker and Tony Choke. So welcome, guys. Hello. Hi, Stuart. Hi. So um, for those of you who haven't heard the sports huddle before, whether you're in Leeds in the Leeds hospitals or listening to us on the Internet, um, the plan is for the next half hour or so to uh, uh, to basically kick around some of the issues in the world of sport, uh, both locally and um, internationally. So we'll start with uh, local football and um, of course the Premier League uh, and Championship have uh, been out of action for uh, a little while uh, because of the World Cup in Qatar, although the Championship came back into action last week. And uh, our local side, Huddersfield Town, uh, started off with a, a defeat at Yorkshire rivals uh, Sheffield United last Saturday, uh, we were there to uh, to bring commentary of that match. Actually, uh, Town are at home to Watford uh, this Saturday. Town sitting uh, strongest team in the division at 24th and last uh, against Watford in fifth. Town uh, least wins in the division with five. The six points adrift of Hull who are in 21st. Uh, issues off the field. Dean Hoyle, the owners, trying to looking to sell the club. We've heard today that um, the, um, the, the the company that managed the stadium look as though they're going to go into administration. That, that company is uh, the Kirklees uh, Stadium Development Limited, 40% owned by the council, 40% owned by Huddersfield Town and uh, 20% by the Giants. Uh, they're in trouble. So, Tony, um, throw a few crumbs of comfort out to town fans, will you? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, that's, that's a tricky one, I think. Uh, they're not having the best of time, are they? Uh, no. Let's be frank. They, 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 they've had a pretty poor time of it all round and, uh, especially disappointing, I guess, after they, they got the playoff final last year and everybody would have been hoping for a great season. Then, of course, the, the manager, uh, disappeared. What was it about 10 days before the season started or something? It was pretty last minute. Uh, and since then, they've gone through another manager and uh, it's all been very unsettling, I think, really, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I think it was, was it only one nil against Sheffield United? Yeah. Um, who are chasing promotion. So I suppose uh, it wasn't a disaster, but, but of course, in their position, they, they desperately need points. Uh, and one nil defeats might be laudable in some ways, but uh, they're not going to help them out of the trouble. Uh, they've got Watford this weekend, who are another side who are pushing for promotion. I think they're somewhere up near, near the top of the table, aren't they? Mid to top. Um, and having been obviously in the Premiership uh, only last year, they'll be looking for a quick return. So it, it, this is going to be another tricky one, I suspect. Um, they are at home. I suppose that's the one thing that's going to be in their favour. But they need they need a spark, really. They need something from somewhere. I mean, winning a game like that could set things off for them, I guess. If they could get a win against a, you know, a sort of decent quality side, that might might well get them going in the right direction. But uh, not having seen them, I can't comment really on on um, 
what the particular weaknesses in, in the side are. But but uh, clearly there's a lack of confidence at the moment and uh, only results are going to turn that round. Yeah, I mean, they, they brought in uh, Mark Fotheringham as the as the coach um, when they dispensed of uh, Schofield, wasn't it? Who, uh, Dean Schofield, who, yeah. yeah. Who uh, took, uh, took over from Carlos Colbrand. So there's been uh, a couple of changes of management in quick time. Fotheringham looked... Early on, looked as though he might uh, have had uh, a, a, an impact, but uh, things haven't gone well um, in, in recent times. I mentioned they've got the least wins in the division with only five, and uh, the, the joint lowest scorers with 19 goals alongside Cardiff and Jordan Rose and um, Danny Ward, who they've relied on for goals. Um, yeah, they've only scored three goals between them in the last 17 games and, and none in the last seven. So. Uh, it's clear that uh, they've got some issues there. Uh, um, I think the thing that cons- would concern me is that uh, the town are anchored down at the bottom. Uh, but when you start looking at the, the other clubs that they're chasing, they're the likes of West Brom and Stoke and Cardiff and even Hull. And you probably expect them, to, the big clubs, you'd expect them to be pulling away at some stage. And Carlos Cobra at West Brom now, of course, has got, uh, mm. you know, he's got four wins on the trot with West Brom. But uh, Jim uh, Burnley top of the table at the moment. Sheffield United in second. Um, have you got Have you got your eye on anybody in particular as, as as promotion candidates from the Championship to the promised land of the Premier League to take on your foxes next season? <laughs> no, I mean I think uh, I think at this sort of stage you always look at the teams that have sort of come down from the division above to see whether they've found their level and have actually just started to impose their sort of um, experience of the higher league. So it's not a surprise that Burnley are up there. It's not really a surprise Sheffield United are up there. Um, and Norwich, of course, they went, they went down last year, didn't they? So so they're, they're going to be thereabouts. Um, and, of course, um, the thing at this stage of the season is the transfer window is approaching. So quite often... Some of these teams, when they look as if they might be in with a shout of getting promoted, can actually pick up the better players either from other teams in the division, which really weakens the other teams in the division, um, or possibly people on the fringes of a premiership team who actually can see themselves staying with it. But um, so I, I would expect, uh, I would expect, to be honest. Burnley, Sheffield United and Norwich to contest the three automatic places and then you can take your pick from the rest and you know even the likes of Middlesbrough and Sunderland could still you know mount a mount a charge to get into the top six and and once you get in the top six who knows you know you can still pick up that worst place to think I finish I always believe is third if you finish third it's very rare that you uh, yeah. It's the exception rather than the rule that says you then go up and seems grossly unfair to me, but it's obviously done to get more matches at the end of the season, create more interest, put money in the pockets of the owners. Uh, but, um, to me, it's a, it's a cruel situation when you play 46 matches and you finish third and you don't go up when there's three teams get promoted. Um, but that's the rules. Um, and, uh, that's what you have to, you have to operate under and, uh, um, you know, if it works to your favour, you think it's great. If it doesn't, you think you are done to. Uh, but 
uh, but no, I think uh, I think the cream is rising to the top. To be honest, in that division, um, mm. the only crumb of comfort I would offer Huddersfield, uh, and I do take the point about there being some bigger teams down the bottom, is that there is actually quite a congestion just above mm. the bottom two or three spots, <clears throat> and therefore two wins all of a sudden propel you massively mm. up the table. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think with the other things you mentioned about the off-field antics, or not antics, but off-field problems that they've got at Huddersfield, that I think is not going to sort of be an incentive to the players either. So you, you, you do begin to worry a bit about them, to be honest, because they are distanced. If they can yeah. get in within a point of getting out of the relegation zone, then I think that acts as a spur. But all the while, you're, you know that even if you win, you're still bottom. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure that does act as a spur. No, that's uh, I, I'm not sure either, and it's uh, it's ironic, isn't it? That um, well, but Bill Dale, my colleague Bill Dale, and I are at Huddersfield uh, this Saturday, actually, the John Smiths to cover the Huddersfield Town versus Watford game, so you'll be able to hear that uh, uh, live and in full on uh, Leeds Hospital Radio from three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. But it is ironic that it's about four and a half years ago now, I think it's April 2018, the last time Bill and I were at John Smith Stadium together, uh, Huddersfield Town uh, scored a, it was Tom Ince who scored a last minute winner, a last gasp winner against Watford uh, to enhance uh, Huddersfield's survival prospects in the uh, in, in the pre- in the first season in the Premier League and in fact that went a long way to securing their status uh, and uh, they secured a, a second season so uh, you know that was only four and a half years ago and uh, where they are now just one thing I'd pick you up on uh, Jim you mentioned uh, prospective Promotion candidates: Burnley, Sheffield United, <laughs> Norwich, Middlesbrough, and Sunderland. Uh, yeah, the Blackburn yeah. Rovers started last Saturday in third place, but they got hammered four-one at home at Ewood Park, the fortress that is Ewood Park, by Preston North End. So, <laughs> let's just chuck those in the mix. Come on, Jim, well, give me a bit of comfort, will you? <laughs> yes, yes, I wondered yes. if we managed to get away without uh, <laughs> <laughs> Preston being mentioned. They are in the top six, aren't they? So. They are indeed. They are indeed, but uh, it's a, there's a long way to go, as I say. OK, we'll leave the championship there. Um, Bradford City, um, they're at home to uh, to Rochdale this weekend, actually. They're in seventh. They had a game postponed last weekend against uh, Gillingham. Uh, they're just hoping to get back on the horse, really, after two losses against promotional rivals Northampton and uh, Lake Norrington. It does seem to me now that uh, whereas uh, probably... Prior to those two games, Bradford City fans were looking up at automatic promotion. I think now they're probably looking down at uh, their other uh, playoff rivals catching them up. But um, let's hope that uh, Bradford can uh, get only their fourth win in 10 games at uh, Valley Parade this season. The last time they won at Valley Parade was the 17th of September. Their away form is great. It's up there with the best, but uh, clearly struggling at home. I think a lot of teams park the bus and uh, look to hit them on the break. But um, Jim, uh, Harrogate Town, uh, you're our Harrogate Town expert. A uh, couple of minutes. How are they doing? Right. OK. Um, they'd won, they'd won two on the trot. Uh, they were postponed last week, which was a shame because it would have been good to measure their form against Northampton. Uh, they bought 16 new players in in the summer. Wow. Um, uh, who have been assimilating. They've been uh, dealing with injuries. 
but they're getting back to a situation where they've got almost um, a full squad to choose from. Um, and uh, certainly for Saturday, they're hopeful that Pattison will be back, and he's he's quite a big influence. Uh, they're away on Saturday, a local derby against Doncaster. Um, so that will be an interesting one. Um, they've hauled themselves, which is my point about a couple of wins, all of a sudden changes things. They're five points clear of the bottom uh, two teams. Um, and the interesting fixture <clears throat> fixtures are on uh, Boxing Day, where by absolute coincidence, the bottom two play each other. And the two above the bottom two, which are the two immediately below Harrogate, also play each other. Uh. Now, uh, when you get games like that, that can change quite a lot. Mm. Um, and Harrogate, um, unfortunately, our colleague Alan Breeze is near because Harrogate are playing Grimsby. Um, yeah. So um, so that will be um, an interesting game as well. So uh, from Harrogate's point of view, um, they've hit a bit of form at the right time. They've got players coming back, which is good. Um, but it would be really good if they did not lose on Saturday, because if mm. they lose on Saturday, then with these the way these games are falling, they could very quickly find themselves not four points clear of the bottom two. Mm. And, the, and the only other bad piece of news for Harrogate is that traditionally over the last umpteen years, they have always got twice as many points before Christmas as they ever have after. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they need to book that trend this year, otherwise they are going to be in, uh, yeah. in trouble. But yeah. um, so um, optimism has always reigned supreme on the Weatherby Road. Um, Excellent. More so than getting through the traffic lights on the Weatherby Road. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but apart from and of that, course, always... yeah. perfect. That's great. And of course, uh, Harrogate with the longest-serving manager in the football league in Simon Weaver, yeah. the chairman of Harrogate Town. Irving His Weaver. father, <laughs> <laughs> which must make for some very interesting boardroom conversations after yeah. Arrogance have lost a couple of games on the trot. But uh, that's great, Jim. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I'll just very quickly um, mention our Premier League uh, club in the area, Leeds United, of course. And uh, of course, we're 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 uh, we're very very fortunate to be able to cover all Leeds United uh, home games at Ellen Road. It's always an experience, uh, and, and as well as some of their away games, uh, we, we we do cover. Um, they're in the middle of a, a, a raft of mid-season friendlies, uh, getting ready for the resumption of uh, the Premier League. Of course, Leeds' uh, first game back in the Premier League on the 28th of December, I think it is, is at home at uh, Ellen Road to none other than Manchester City. Uh, so probably right that they should be uh, warming up um, um, considerably. So they've uh, recently played uh, Elche who are a, a La Liga side. Uh, tomorrow night, they play Real Sociedad at uh, Ellen Road. And next Wednesday, they play uh, Associ- Association Sportive Monaco. So they play Monaco next Wednesday, uh, next Wednesday evening. Uh, I do hope that anybody who's listening to us in hospital has returned home in good health to um, to family and friends next by next Wednesday. But if not, then just to let you know that we'll be covering that friendly between Leeds United and Monaco kickoff 7.45 at Ellen Road. Right, that's local football done. Let's move on to the world stage. And uh, we've got to talk about it, unfortunately. Um, another um, 
unfortunate exit for England last weekend at the hands of uh, France in the uh, quarterfinal of the World Cup in Qatar. Um, Tony, did you see the game? Yes. Yeah, and so uh, y- your thoughts about England's performance, uh, not just in the game, but overall, and uh, are you are you optimistic about the future, as some of us seem to be now, or a bit more sort of r- realistic about uh, what might happen in in um, in yeah, major tournaments going forward? Where do you where do you stand? Um, well, I'm not really sure. Um, I. I, I... I thought they played generally. I thought they played well and were, and were the better side against France. Um, and uh, I mean, well, we we know that FIFA has been a corrupt op- occupation uh, organization in the past. Um, allegedly, allegedly. I, I think it's I think it's fact. more than allegedly now. A, in the yeah, past, I said. It is fact. Yes, in the past. Yes, in yes, the yes. Past. More than allegedly. Um, <laughs> uh, they do seem to be specialising now in being a pretty incompetent one because how on earth? They could appoint a referee who, uh, to my mind, uh, either didn't know the laws properly or didn't know how to apply them or has missed an appointment with spec savers, possibly. Uh, <laughs> I just because uh, I, I, I thought he was terrible. He made he made some awful calls during that match uh, and, and calls that, 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 that could have influenced the outcome, which is which is doubly disappointing. Um, but as far as England are concerned, yeah, disappointing. They've gone out uh, uh, again uh, at the quarterfinal stage. I think they've lost more World Cup quarterfinals than anybody else now. Seven, I believe, uh, out of the ten they've played. Um, so that is disappointing. Uh, they have got some talented players. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, certainly, I wouldn't put any uh, any blame on, on on Harry Kane. I mean. He missed a penalty, but at least, uh, to my mind, at least he, he ran up and hit it with some intent. He, he mishit it, but uh, what I don't like is when people run up and poke at penalties and give the goalkeeper a soft save. So at least he he, he, he hit it, but um, unfortunately mishit it. Um, so that that was that was unfortunate. Whether they'd have got through had it gone to extra time and, and, and penalties again. Who knows? Uh, the more worrying thing, I think, is, is, is the trend that we keep being reminded of now that um, they have yet to beat a major nation uh, in a World Cup uh, knockout game, certainly, uh, other yeah. than in this country. Um, yeah, good point. Uh, and that, that, is, that is worrying uh, and, and, and concerning um, because, as has been said, I think, on occasions, the good teams the really top teams find a way to get things done uh, and France have done it twice now I didn't think they were that great against Morocco last night Morocco um, you know had, had them on toast at times but they just couldn't get the ball in the net because they didn't have enough quality at the, at the front end um, but you felt if that had been England against Morocco somehow Morocco would have scored when they had all that pressure in the second half and we'd have been 1-1 and going to extra time. But France yeah. didn't and, 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 and then killed it off at the end as well, of course. Um, they just seemed to not be able to, to, to win. Because Argentina, I don't think, have been great. I mean, Messi's outstanding. If you take Messi out of that side, I don't think it's a particularly great side. But they found a way to win the games that, that mattered. I mean, against Mexico, they were pretty ordinary. 
until Messi produced a moment of magic and, and, and that turned that game and got them uh, on, on the road. Because had they not won that game, they could have been danger, in danger of doing a Germany and going out in the group stage. Um, so that that is the worrying thing, I think. Um, in terms of Gareth Southgate, I think it's up to him. I mean, um, certainly, if, I think if he wants to carry on, uh, he, he should be allowed to. I don't think anybody's going to push him out the door. It's up to him whether whether he wants to do it, I think, and if he feels he's got enough still to give to it. But somehow we have to find a way of, of, of winning games when we're not playing particularly well, of closing games out. And we've also got to sort out this penalty situation because um, unless we do, um, it's always going to come and bite us. Not many teams go through a, a tournament like the Euros or the World Cup without having to go to penalties at some stage. Uh, and OK, it was a penalty in, in normal time this time. But we have to get to the stage where we're, Killing 80, 90 percent of our penalties like Germany have done on, on so many occasions when it's mattered. Um, so those are the things that worry me. And I wonder if a lot of those are not so much skill or anything, but but some sort of something to do with the mindset. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. In a word, um, Tony, who wins the final, Argentina or France? Um, I don't know. I, th- I think France have got a better team. Uh, I think they've got more talented players. But Argentina have got Messi, and you just wonder if the stars are aligned. Mm. Uh, you heard it here first. Jim, um, elite sport is really is a brutal meritocracy, and, and um, you know, Gareth Southgate has got you know, an impressive CV in that uh, he's taken England to a World Cup quarterfinal and a semi-final. And he's, he's taken them to uh, the final of the Euros when they lost to Italy on penalties. But um, as I say, you know, elite sport is brutal. We remember the winners and, uh, you know, we tend to forget the uh, the losers uh, very, very quickly. Uh, so, he, you know, what he doesn't have on his CV is uh, a win in a major tournament. If you were Gareth Southgate... And you've got 18 months or two years left on your contract or whatever it is to take England through to the uh, to the Euros. What would you do? I would certainly stick it out because uh, I think there was enough shown by the players coming through in that competition to say that we are still a team on the up. Uh, I think if you look at the the Certainly Argentina in the final. Once they've lost Messi, they will be going downhill um, short term, possibly, but they'll still go downhill. Uh, Portugal will do the same because Ronaldo is now past it. Croatia will do the same now that uh, Modric is is, is leaving. Um, and they are big name players. I think with the England team, there isn't an actual individual like the teams have their Messi's and the Ronaldo's and the Modric. England haven't got one of them. Bellingham possibly might become it, but at the moment they haven't got one. And I do think they play pretty well together as a as a unit. And so if I was Southgate, I would think, well, this crop of players, you know, sport is brutal, but sport is also fine margins. And, you know, I think, but for a fine margin or two, you know, we might have won, won that game against France quite easily. I mean, that the guy, the first goal. I mean, yeah. nine times out of ten, that would have, that would have hit somebody. It would have missed. Uh, Pickford would have seen it a bit earlier and got his hand to it, and it, it wouldn't have gone in. Um, 
and um, so I, I just I, I just think that actually they they are on the cusp. And I, I, I genuinely felt when I looked through those other teams that were in that competition, the qualifiers, England had actually played the best. And yes, France was always going to be difficult, um, but I just think they were just 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 unlucky, if you like. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. Penalty, yes. If you don't score your penalties, well, that's absolutely right. And uh, perhaps somebody just needed to have had a quick word with Harry Kane before he went up to take it, just to offer him some advice. You know, they, you know, in other sports you have Steve Peters, who seems to seems to appear and and transform people into world beaters. Um, uh, so, but I'm sure they've got those sort of people on the squad. I mean, the amount of backup they must have. It must cost millions and millions. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I think, and I think the other point, just, just very quickly, the other point is that when you look at these teams, virtually every team now that is doing well has players in the Premiership. So I think the Premiership is a league to play in. And therefore, if you, if you get 11 players out who are playing in the Premiership regularly, then I think you've got, you've got a better than even chance. So I, I would, I would urge him to stick it out. And uh, who wins it on Sunday, Jim? Say it again. Who wins it on Sunday? Argentina, Argentina or France? Argentina, Argentina for you. You're right. You're you're uh, you're with me. Um, anybody who listened to our pod- podcast uh, four weeks ago, you you might have heard it here first. But uh, <laughs> was it Brazil for you, Tony? Did you it was Brazil, Brazil or Argentina? Oh, of course it was. You yeah, sat on the fence. Yes, you did. I sat you did on indeed. The fence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incidentally, I don't know whether you noticed, but they've appointed the ref. Uh, they've appointed the Polish referee, the, uh, um, well, I won't pronounce one, I'm afraid, apologies to Polish listeners, but I can't yes. get my head around all the vowels. Um, uh, Shrizniak or, and he's, he's not, he's refereed both of them in the run up. He refereed ah. them against France against Denmark and Argentina against Australia. Right. And that's why right. cleaners, uh, cleaners gone for him. Right. Yeah, well, thank heavens they haven't gone for the Brazilian. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, uh, remarkably, he was retained. Um, yeah. But of course, with a South American com- uh, country in the yes. final, I guess that that ruled him out. So I, I was hoping that Anthony Taylor might get it actually, because uh, he's a, he's a fine referee. I think uh, I, I was I was sad to see Michael Oliver sent home, mm. but uh, mm. I, I, I was hoping that uh, Anthony Taylor might get it. But uh, so. Um, It'll be all over on Sunday for another four years. Argentina. Three and a half. France. Three and a half. Of course, three and a half. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for correcting me. My maths uh, uh, deserted me there for a minute. So, yes, I got uh, lost with the midwinter, uh, as far as we're concerned, the midwinter uh, tournament. And, of course, uh, prior to the final on Sunday, on, on Sunday, of course, we've got to mention the match that uh, nobody would want to play in, which is the third and fourth place playoff. Why? <laughs> Between Croatia and, and Morocco. But, uh We'll we'll see. I'll not, I'll not even ask you who you fancy to win that. I think uh, I hope Morocco do. That'd be great. I think they will. I think they will actually. I think they will too. Yeah, yeah. I, think. I, I think from a uh, from a uh, a psychological point of view, I guess Morocco will be be up for it because they've got the opportunity. Well, they 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 they're going to finish as high as any African team already has done. But I think to get on the podium, as it were, I think uh, will will inspire them. Whereas Croatia probably thinking, oh, you know. Here we go again. But um, anyway, so that's uh, that's football done. Let's move on to cricket. And um, 
Earlier on this week, um, the England men's cricketers created a bit of history by um, uh, securing a 2-0 series win in Pakistan with uh, with one game to go. And, and, and two of this uh, podcast of three, um, uh, Jim, we missed you. Um, we're at a, a lunch earlier on this week and the, the guest speaker, who was very good, actually, if you get to hear him, uh, please do so. You'll really enjoy him. Guest speaker was Phil De Freitas. Uh, and he spent uh, he spent quite a bit of time telling us how miserable a tour of Pakistan he had, which was a, a, a three month tour and the food wasn't great and the facilities weren't great and they were cheated by the umpire. So how things have moved on uh, from uh, from from then to now. Uh, but um, Tony, England have gone from. Yeah, what was effectively a rabble in the uh, in the West Indies last winter to to where they are now. They'd won one in seventeen Test matches under Joe Root, and they've now under Ben Stokes and uh, Brendan McCullum, they've won seven Test matches out of eight, and it, 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 that's got to be more than a flash in the pan. We keep thinking that it's a flash in the pan, but I think the second Test that they've just won against Pakistan, um, you know. Uh, the, the first test was on a flat pitch, uh, so Pakistan uh, produced a turning pitch for the for, for the second test. There were some questions over selection. They brought in the mystery spinner Abra Ahmed, who took 11 wickets in the match, but England still won it. So, um, that, what were your thoughts on this transformation, Tony? I mean, it's incredibly exciting. Um, what, what, what do you think are the key? components that uh, Stokes and McCullum have brought to the England side that's transformed them uh, wait between the ears it's got to be between the ears hasn't it because um, yeah. uh, a lot a lot of the players are the same ones who were playing uh, 12 months ago uh, and as you say were something of a of a, of a rabbler they, they looked a shambles in in the West Indies and of course that, that had come straight off the back of a another hammering in Australia so things didn't look great at all um, and, and obviously they've, they've freed up the players to, to, to think that whatever they do, you know, they're going to get backed. They're not going to get sacked if things go wrong. And they've, they've given them the, the, the confidence to, to, to go out there and, and, and play. And, uh, it's been very refreshing and very exciting. I mean, the first test was extraordinary. I, I remember saying to someone that, um, uh, I, th- I thought that, that they wouldn't miss not having Sky Sports because um, uh, this was after the first day of the first test in Royal Pindy because uh, we were going to get 15 days of bore draws, basically, three three tedious mm. draws. And somehow England conjured a result out of the flattest of pitches in the first test. Um, the, the one in Multan, obviously, was a, was a better pitch in terms of... Um, uh, of creating uh, opportunities for the bowlers because it gave the bowlers a chance and it was a result pitch and it was just a you know a question who, who of who made the best of it um i suppose there are there are one or two occasions when you, you you'd sort of think maybe they should just rein it in a bit which they did to an extent actually uh in certainly in the second innings uh, in Multan when they were building a lead and, and they were going at sort of more like four, five and over than seven and eight and over. Um, but then they lost the last five wickets for sort of less than 20, I think. And, mm-hmm. and, and you'd like to think that had that been against Australia in the ashes, they wouldn't have sort of thought, oh, we got 350 now. That's fine. They'd have kept going and kept going because there was so much time left in the match. Um, because, uh, 
against a sort of a top side like, like Australia, uh, if you get um, uh, an advantage, you've got to you've got to rub it in, really, um, uh, because if you give them a sniff of getting back into it, which Pakistan certainly had, they could have won. They could have won the first test, I suppose, but that was obviously on a declaration. So that was, you know, kind of slightly different. But uh, they certainly could have won the second test. Um, and, and some people may argue that, you know, but for the odd thing, like certainly an umpiring decision that went in England's favour, um, the result might have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just think that on occasions, maybe you'd like to just see them rein it in uh, a bit. But um the, the, the positivity and, and the confidence that the players have obviously got, uh, that, that's great. And, and, and if they can keep that momentum up through um, this final test and then through New Zealand, um, you know, they'll be in good fettle mentally to take on, on, on the Aussies next summer. But um, mm. you still worry slightly that against an attack of Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark and Lyon, mm. it's not going to be easy to score at six and seven and over. Mm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, you know, I think what impressed me in this second test that's just finished in Town is that, um, you know, I think England batted very positively on day one and there were 281 all out in, in 50, in, in what was it, just over 50 overs. And, and, you know, yeah, how many times have we seen England sort of prodding and poking around and <laughs> ending up 120, 130 all out? So, so that, I think that sort of set them up to, for the second innings, as you say, they did rein it in and that allowed, allowed Stokes to set, because of the time left in the game, it allowed him to set more defensive fields for, for Leach. Um, and also, you know, we've got to mention Stokes and, and, and Brooke in particular. They tended, they, I think it was a, the, the second evening, they really did curb their natural instincts and, and uh, mm. uh, you know, played proper cricket, if you like, or cricket mm. as we used to know it, mm. and, and mm. to preserve their wicket and get them into the third day in, uh, in, uh, in, in good order. And the other thing that struck me was uh, Pakistan took 20 England wickets in the match, two were run outs, the other 18 yes. were all taken by spinners. Yes. Whereas mm. the uh, mm. the England seamers took eight out of the ten in the fourth innings mm. in, uh, in on, mm. on on the subcontinent on, on, in mm. in Asia that can't have happened very often I don't, I don't, I don't think but uh, it was mm. great Jim we we can't uh, we can't leave um, uh, the the Test series in Pakistan without mentioning mentioning our local boy Harry Brook um, who smashed 150 scored his maiden test century in the first test uh, smashed 150 on a flat one um but in the second innings in Multan on a much more difficult on a more difficult sur- surface uh, scored a, an absolutely magnificent 100 i mean so it, it goes without saying but how impressed have you been with the way that harry brook has um, cemented his place in the side i'll ask you that and then secondly you can tell me how are they going to get johnny bairstow back in hmm. uh they, they well let's do the second one first they get bairstow back in by uh, <laughs> by letting him keep wicket and you're going to give him the gloves leaving pope for that duties um uh but certainly you're not going to drop brook on on his current form um i mean i, I didn't see all of the innings but i do recall there was one ball which was was about two foot six outside off uh, leg stump, which got yeah. dispatched along the ground through extra cover. Yeah. Um, mm. That's an incredible he's, shot. He's got an mm. incredible eye. And the other thing, of course, is that he he had no warm up for this because he went he was sent home after the World Cup, in which he had disappointed really. 
um, in terms of how he'd approached it. Um, um, uh, but And he was sent home for a bit of a break because he hadn't had a break. And he came back and literally came straight into the first match um, and got all those runs. And then, as you say, in this game, um, got that 100 in the second innings. And I think it's worth just pointing out that if you actually look at the, this last match, uh, in the England first innings, there are only two of them got over 50 and nobody got over 65. And in the second innings, there are only two of them got over 50. Although Brooke did get 108 and Duckett got 79. And then after that, it was Stokes with 41. So there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them never got into double figures. Um, that is a cause of some concern to me, um, because on, on that basis, there's going to come a point at which none of them get into double figures. Um, uh, but in terms of Harry Brook, top of the world, it feels he must be able to hit a table tennis ball for six. Um, and um, long may it continue. And, uh, the only worry I have um, is about Yorkshire getting relegated. Because in the warm-up games that they're going to have in April and May, he's going to be playing second division opposition. And I'm not sure that's any any form of preparation for the bowlers that Tony's just mentioned coming over from Australia will be practising against Division 1 teams, I suspect. So, um, but what can you, you, know, you can only judge by what's, what you've just seen. And there's the yeah. third match coming up and let's hope he gets another hundred. Um, let's hope that Raheem, um, uh, Ahmed gets his debut, be the youngest ever English cricketer. Uh, I think there's a good chance he'll play. Um, to be honest, yeah. they seem very, very impressed with him, even though yeah. he's hardly played a championship game, but he yeah. seems to have, the, he seems to have that sort of, you know, arrogant sort of attitude. I have to say, whenever I I read what he said, um, he certainly doesn't uh, doesn't show any signs of not uh, not being up for the fight, shall we say? Uh, so yeah. he gets the game. Yeah, uh, well, I hope so too. Actually, um, it's uh, you know, I, I know you've got a, a Leicestershire bias, but. Um, uh, I, I really do hope he does. I mean, we know everything about Jack Leach, don't we? We know that uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's the 14th um, English uh, Test bowler to uh, take a, a hundred wickets in in this century. Uh, as we know, we know who the other 13 are. 13 are as well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but also, you know, Jack, he just tend to bowl too many balls that good players can hit for four, doesn't he? So I think we've, we've really got to look at uh, Ray and Ahmed. Ray and Ahmed, I think he can bat a bit, Jim, can't he? Cause yeah, he's, yeah, he's, got, he's got a, he's got a yeah. championship century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, not, uh, he's, he's not backward in coming forward and telling you how good he can bat. No, no, and, and uh, I, I did read, I should have sent the article to you, actually. I fully intended to, but reading, uh, reading his... Uh, uh, reading the report on the BBC Sport website about his um, maiden century against Derbyshire, I think it was Leicestershire, Derbyshire. It was re- referred to as his maiden Test hundred. So <laughs> I, 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 I didn't realise that Leicestershire and Derbyshire were now suddenly playing, playing Test matches. <laughs> Was a test when you play against Derby. Yeah, we're going to take your cricket seriously in the uh, in the East no, Midlands, that's for sure. Absolutely. And uh, one final point: I, I, it's amazing that two weeks ago last Tuesday, I was talking to Harry Brook in Curry's in Guiseley 
in the retail <laughs> park. He was, he, he was looking to buy a, a turntable, actually. Mm. And, and uh, I was asking him uh, where his, uh, his T20 World Cup final medal was, which he said he'd got safely squat away. I thought he might have given it to his grandma for safekeeping. But uh, and, uh, two weeks on, of course, he's uh, that was Tuesday as he flew to... Uh, Directly to Pakistan, as you quite rightly say, he missed the uh, he missed the training in uh, in the Middle East. He went straight to Pakistan, and two two weeks and two days later, he's uh, you know he's two two hundreds and man of the match in the second test, uh, and he's twenty three years twenty three years old, living the dream. Eh? Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's great. That's uh, a good wrap on on cricket. So um, time's pressing. As ever, we've run over time, but uh, for the right reasons. And um, so we'll um, we'll finish this evening, as we always do, with uh, our sporting moments of the week. And Tony, you go first, your sporting moment of the week. Yeah, well, it, it was going to be a fairly simple one, actually, until um, something that came up at that, that, that dinner the other day. I discovered something I didn't know, and that, to me, was a sporting moment of the week. But it was going to be Morocco getting through to the semi-finals uh, of, of the World Cup. But uh, I will go instead for the, for the discovery that I made on Tuesday, that there is only one first-class cricketer uh, who has taken five wicket hauls against each of the 18 first-class counties. And I didn't know that, um, uh, and I now do know that. Uh, and I was able to confirm that with the man himself, because <laughs> I asked him afterwards, and he nodded very modestly, uh, and it's Phil De Freitas. And, I, and I, I didn't know that. He's the only one who's ever done that. And uh, that yeah. to me was a sporting discovery of the week, if not a moment of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And also, that's uh, that's fine. I also had a chat with him in the car park about his uh, his Fife and his match uh, man of the match performance or player of the match performance in the 1990 NatWest uh, final against Northamptonshire when he took the first five Northamptonshire wickets for Lancashire. And uh, well, Lancashire won quite comfortably, but uh, Northampton having scored 180 for nine. In their 60 overs. <laughs> <laughs> and Lancashire took 48 overs to knock them off. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's great. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to save Jim to last because it's always a, 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 a moment to treasure when Jim gives us his uh, sporting moment. I'll give you mine uh, very quickly. Um, uh, Preston North End under 18s played Rotherham United under 18s in the third round of the Youth Cup earlier on this week. Uh, Preston won 6-1. Five goals were scored by a 16-year-old Brazilian by the name of Felipe Rodriguez Gentile. So, Preston... Yeah, the um, that well-known hotbed of Brazilian talent, at Preston, have clearly uncovered the next Zico. <laughs> what on earth he's doing in Preston? I've no idea. I've, I've tried to research him, but he claims to have arrived in the country uh, th- three years ago, and he's now playing for this incredible team, as he calls it. Uh, but but. Uh, Clearly scoring uh, five goals as a 16-year-old in, a, in the third round of the under-18 uh, Youth Cup. He's, he's looking to find the quickest road back to Rio, I think, and <laughs> to be picked up by Flamengo or Corinthians or Palmeiras or Sao Paulo. So, uh, yeah, Felipe Rodriguez Gentile, uh, he provided me with my sporting moment of the week. Jim, it's all yours. Well, this is this is going to be very difficult to uh, to top these two. I mean, I mean, I would just point out, of course, that 
Philip de Freitas also played for Leicestershire. <laughs> so he, he, he learned all he needed to know at uh, Leicester. And yet again, we provide <laughs> players for other teams to go on and represent England. Uh, but anyway, uh, sporting moment of the week um, refers this week to cyclocross. <laughs> and normally when you mention cyclocross and you mention um, uh, Yorkshire, because it's a local one, uh, you immediately think of Tom Pidcock. Uh, this is not Tom Pidcock. Uh, this is uh, a chap called Oliver Akers. Uh, Oliver Akers uh, was born on the 24th of August 2005, which makes him 17 and a half. And he competes in uh, junior cyclocross. And junior cyclocross is for under 19s. So he's under 17. So he's 17 and a half competing in under 19s. And as with most cyclocross things, they have nas- <coughs> national events and they have uh, international events. Uh, this year in the national events, uh, there's been four and he's won them all. And uh, on Sunday, he uh, won the um, first international competition uh, of his career uh, in Dublin, where they they had one of these uh, uh, UCI World Championship things, and they competed on the same course as the men. And the men's race had been won by Walt Van Aert, and Tom Pickup came third, but Oliver Akers won the junior race. So uh, chapeau to Oliver Akers. I think he comes from home first, but stand to be corrected on that. Um, but I think he's from home first. Um, and so there's a name to watch out for in the years going forward. And happy Christmas to him and to all his uh, all his family. Fabulous, Jim. That's a great end to the programme. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, he's uh, coming from home first. Um, I guess whichever way he goes out of his front door, he's going to find a hill to, uh, to cycle. <laughs> in. So uh, good yeah. training country, for, I would say, for cyclocross. That's uh, fantastic as ever, Jim. Well, um, that's it, folks, for this edition of Sports Huddle. We've, uh, as I say, we have overrun uh, uh, as ever. Our uh, chairman and producer may well edit us, but uh, hopefully you'll have a listen and decide that uh, the full 45 minutes is worth um, is worth <laughs> listening to. So it remains for me to thank both uh, Jim and Tony as ever for providing some insightful thought into um, what's happened in the sporting world this week and. Um, uh, don't forget, if you are unfortunate still to be in the Leeds hospitals at the weekend, we'll be at Huddersfield Town on Saturday for Huddersfield's game against Watford. Kick off three o'clock, uh, match commentary in full. But really, um, what I do wish uh, for any of you who are listening to us in hospital is that you get the best gift, which is a speedy return to health and get home in time for Christmas for you, with your friends and family and celebrate uh, uh, celebrate well and for those of you who are listening across the internet uh, thank you for listening uh, next Thursday we'll be recording uh, a sports review of the year special so um, um, we're looking forward to that and that will be posted uh, that will be certainly uh, available across the Leeds hospitals over the Christmas period and uh, will be posted on the internet uh, probably sometime uh, next Friday. Uh, so uh, do have a listen to that. Uh, so that's it from me. That's it from Jim. That's in from, that's uh, all from Tony. Uh, good night. <laughs>